This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Dr. Sri Nancy Shukri of GPS has been appointed the new Minister of Women, Family and Community Development. So what should she focus on and what are the challenges that lie ahead? Joining me on the show today to discuss this and more is Abhinaya Mohan. She's the Advocacy Director at the Women's Aid Organisation. Welcome to the show, Abhinaya. How are you doing? Hi, Dashran. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, let's start with the appointment of Nancy Shukri. Um, she's been appointed the new Minister for Women, Family and Community Development. What are your overall thoughts on this? Well, um, we really look forward uh, to Dr. Sri Nancy Shukri's appointment. Um, and that's also because uh, she has had quite extensive experience um, as a parliamentarian and as also as a minister. Uh, and she's always been an ally uh, for the women's groups. So we really hope and trust that, you know, she'll be looking into closing existing gaps in protection um, for women who've survived violence uh, against women um, and also to, to really bolster initiatives that improve gender equality in Malaysia. Um, and, and we really hope that, you know, the minister and her team will continue to engage with grassroots and civil society organisations across Malaysia. Um, you know, we've had, we, we've been, had, we've gone through an interesting um, sort of past few years in Malaysia, right? Because for, for the first 60 years, we've had one government, Barisan National, and then the past, since 2018, we've had three different administrations, and then now the fourth one. How would you describe the landscape for women's rights in Malaysia? Was that progress, regress, both, um, especially when it comes to policymaking? Um, well, it sure has been a very interesting four years, um, lots of ups and downs, uh, many different governments. Uh, but there have been very important positives, actually. Um, there have been important pieces of legislature and practices that have been looked into. Um, there was a lot of political reform in 2018-2019 uh, that worked towards gender equality. Um, and, you know, this was a focus on the sexual harassment bill. There was commitment to criminalize stalking, um, as well as, you know, commitment towards the Gender Equality Act, which is now known as the Anti-Discrimination Against Women Act. Um, there were also some strides uh, towards gender responsive budgeting. Um, and I would say in the last few years, um, you know, from 2020 to 2022, um, even though there have been significant issues due to COVID, uh, you know, there were spikes in um, domestic violence cases. Um, we have made, in terms of laws, uh, we have made some progressive uh, steps. Uh, we have passed the anti-sexual harassment bill, um, which was 30 years um, in the making. Uh, we've also criminalized stalking. Well, we, uh, you know, the, the stalking was passed, um, but... We, it has to go through parliament again uh, because parliament was dissolved. So that is a positive. Um, the government had also done a lot of work towards gender responsive budgeting. That is to make the national budget gender responsive so that different target groups um, actually given allocation that, that can benefit them um, and really looks into the needs of these various groups. And this is like, you know, women, men, um, boys and girls. It's um, every aspect of society in Malaysia, really. So that is a big step. Um, but 
despite the change in government, you know, the women's groups and various human rights groups obviously have worked on pushing for amendments and laws um, to protect. But it's important that uh, we acknowledge the civil service who have also worked very hard on ensuring these laws um, have come to fruition uh, despite changes um, of the ministers. Um, however, Dashran, when it comes <laughs> to culture, I would say that there are some worrying trends. Right. Uh, we have seen, um, you know, and, and this is where government's attitudes towards women and human rights often trickle down and, and really embolden the public. Um, for example, Women's Aid Organization recently did a survey on violence endorsing attitudes in Malaysia, and we found that actually more than 50% of Malaysians agreed that domestic violence was a natural reaction to everyday stresses. Um, and this is, you know, this is a really worrying thing because then we, we don't actually understand the power dynamics. Right. Um, in a household. And then you also have the lack of response to violence, um, especially during the pandemic. Uh, cases went up fourfold. And it, it just, you know, you have like issues with rape culture. Um, and it, it just shows you that in terms of culture, we really, really need to um, work hard to focus on protection for women. We need to look into the attitudes that we perpetuate. Um, you know, of course, the government uh, needs to focus on this. But I think the, the Malaysian public as well um, needs to to really look into attitudes that we allow um, to go by. Yeah, I want to press that a little further because I think you bring up an interesting point about how we have taken many steps forward um, in terms of policies, in terms of lawmaking, um, and in terms of progressive laws that will benefit um, women, um, but also boys, girls, like you said, um, you know, closing that, that sort of gender gap. But at the same time, it seems like culturally we are, we are taking a you know, uh, like a couple of steps back. How does this happen where the law side of it seems to be moving um, progressively, but the culture side of it is is either stagnating or, or regressing? Yeah, so, so it's actually very interesting. And I think what it comes down to is really implementation um, and gender sensitization of, uh, you know, the frontliners. Right. So when we talk about having these laws, um, okay, it's great that we have, you know, that we will have sexual harassment, the Sexual Harassment Act implemented. Um, but if we don't train the police, if we don't train um, our hospitals, if we don't train, you know, all of our frontliners to actually be gender sensitive, um, then nobody's going to actually speak up, right? right? Survivors are not going to speak up because there's always this fear that the gender stereotypes that we have, like, oh, women shouldn't be talking about um, the, the the inconveniences, the grievances that they face. Right. Um, that's like the general perspective on the ground. Um, and until we address that, um, there is a long way to go for these laws to actually be fully effective. Right. So let's talk a little bit more. You touched on it earlier, but but some of the problems and issues, barriers that women face, right? Because uh, what are the areas that we are lacking when it comes to gender equality in Malaysia, Abinaya? What barriers do women still face on a day-to-day -day basis, especially in the community? Oh, there are many, many areas, Dashran. Right. Um, I think primarily... Uh, women's participation to economic activity in public life. Um, you know, the, the, the labor participation rate is at 50, 55%, um, labor force participation rate. 
um, which is is only half of of the population of the women's population who should be, um, and so that that is quite interesting. There are also barriers to healthcare access, um, barriers to protection when it comes to survivors of violence. Um, and of course, there are barriers for different target groups and marginalized communities, you know, um, and these vary, the type of barriers vary, right? So you have single mothers, you know, you have ibutungal, ibutingal, um, those who have been separated or not legally um, divorced. Uh, then you have women with disabilities, you have indigenous women, and they, we all, they all face different sort of barriers. Um, and of course, the pandemic saw an impact, a drastic impact on women and girls um, with school dropout rates um, increasing and then child care burdens increasing, care burdens in general increasing. You know, um, uh, there, there have been actually many cases of women um, who have had to take a career break to care for their children or to care for the elderly. Um, and this comes back again to gender stereotypes, right? Um, you know, when, when it comes to the decision of who has to take that step back, um, it's very often women, and this loops. It's it's a big cycle because it comes back to women's participation in economic activity. If they were the breadwinner, then they wouldn't be expected to take um, that step back. Um, and I think, importantly, um, it was reported very recently that Malaysia's gender gap index uh, showed a drop um, right. of zero point seven percentage points uh, compared to twenty twenty. Um, and it also showed that political empowerment recorded the lowest um, rating, uh, right. lowest index um, of 10%. And so it, it shows that there's a clear trend of different sort of barriers to women participating in public life. And these need to be addressed. Um, and one of the key things that, you know, I think as we look to rebuild the economy, um, that we really, really must uh, look into and was... Um, in a, in many of the manifestos um, is childcare uh, because that really allows uh, for women to go back to work. Absolutely. Now, when we talk about participation and the gender gap, especially, you know, in politics in and of itself, right? Um, it, it's pretty abysmal, um, especially when we look at, you know, this this round um, heading towards the general elections and, and whatnot, because throughout the the political dis discussions and discourse in the days following GE15, heading towards GE15, we saw a glaring absence of women, um, even those who have been elected MPs in, in these discussions discussions, um, especially when we talk about political discussions, meetings in secret rooms, um, and so on and so forth, right? Um, and, in, and in Malaysian politics, it's also a, it's quite the rarity to see women holding the topmost positions in, in political parties, not for a lack of capabilities. Um, it's, it's just the way this, the structures exist um, within the system. I mean, why is it important to provide that space for women in the political sphere? Oh, you're right, Dashran. I mean, I think we're really severely lacking. Um, I, the, the stats are quite quite low. I think mm -hmm. this time around we have 13.5% um, women parliamentarians. Um, we have like 16% um, of those, sorry, 17% of those in ministerial position. Um, so it, it really is imperative because firstly, women make up 50% of, uh, of the population, right? right? Um, and we also, uh, you know, 
issues that are faced by families, by children and women are less likely to be ignored um, if we have more women parliamentarians or more women in the political sphere. Um, and this, you know, this could be for a variety of reasons. Um, and it also could be because they may have had firsthand experience um, in understanding what it's like to carry the burden of care. Um, and also in understanding what it's like um, to face, you know, violence. Um, and there, there actually, interestingly enough, has been observations in other countries and studies in other countries that have found that welfare of society in general goes up when there is better representation of women uh, in the political sphere. Um, and it, I think a very important consideration is also that women must be given space in in politics so that other women are also encouraged to take up space. Right. So that other women are also emboldened um, and, and, you know, uh, to speak up and, and to deter um, issues that typically keep women on the sidelines, you know, such as harassment, such as bullying, discrimination. Um, I think, you know, it was a sitting uh, earlier this year um, when, when there was a lot of disrespect in parliament towards women MPs. Um, and it was quite a show of solidarity when MPs across the, you know, across the divide, uh, women MPs, particularly across the divide, um, actually spoke up um, and called the the parliamentarians out for the disrespectful behavior. Um, so this, these are really important things, you know, um, that, that, shows that there is possibility of gender equality um, or that, you know, that we are moving towards gender equality and that there's always space for younger women, um, for women from various groups, um, various communities um, to have representation. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned the the 17% of women only in the in ministerial positions, um, which is very low. Um, you know, I think international sta- standards, at, you know, push for at least 30% um, representation in parliament and in cabinet and so on and so forth. But one positive I can see, I can draw is that women have been given important portfolios in this cabinet. Um, on top of the Ministry of Women and Family, De- uh, Com- and, Family and Community Development, we also have um, YB Azalina Othman as the Minister of Law and Institutional Reform. We have um, YB Fadlina Side um, holding the education portfolio. You have Dr. Zaliha as the Health Minister and Hannah Yo as Minister of Youth and Sports. While we can't prejudge their performance, um, how important is it that they are holding these big portfolios? It is tremendously important that they're holding these portfolios also because um, you know, education and health um, have really huge budget allocations. Um, and and we really hope that, you know, um, with, with a woman minister um, and, you know, YB Fadlina and Dr. Zaliha, I'm sure, are going to really look into the various gaps, you know, not just get gender gaps, but also the, the different needs of like target groups um, in that portfolio. Uh, and they're, they're definitely going to be more in tune with um, some of the issues that are faced um, by women in, in those sectors. Um, so it's actually tremendously important that we have representation in really key, um, really key roles, because typically, um, you know, th- there is this, this need to silo women into just women 
women-related issues, which is not true because everything is a women-slash-family-related issue. So, so I think we're seeing that come through and, and it's, um, it's very exciting. All right, we do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Abinaya Mohan, Advocacy Director at the Women's Aid Organisation. After the break, I ask her what's on the Women's Rights Group's wish list. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Abinaya Mohan, Advocacy Director at the Women's Aid Organisation. And we're talking about what women's rights groups are hoping Anwar's administration will focus on moving forward. Um, Abinaya, I want to ask you, right, what are usually the obstacles when it comes to change and reform? Because, um, you know, when we look at the anti-sexual harassment um, bill and, and you know, these these were things that have been in the works for 20-odd years before it finally, um, you know, was stabled and then passed and, and so on and so forth. And But at the same time, when we look at the past four or five years, you see that when it comes to policymaking and lawmaking, there has been like sort of a, a rapid movement, or at least a decent, um, you know, move to, towards progress in that sense. So what usually are the obstacles to change and reform? So th there are actually three things that come to mind. Mm -hmm. The first is prevalent culture. The second is um, lack of gender data. And the third is like political will. Um, the first thing is that change and reform needs support. Um, and it's a lot more difficult if the perception on the ground is that gender inequality must exist uh, to preserve ideas of culture, you know, for girls to stay at home, for women to carry the burden of care. Um, for people to not speak out about violence, right? Normalized gender roles make it a lot harder. Um, and so so when we're able to actually change that culture, um, there's a bit more incentive uh, for reform because the push comes from bottom up. Um, and, and the other most important thing that we need is gender desegregated data, um, which shows the realities on the ground. And this helps inform to make policies better. Um, for example, uh, stalking, you know, if we had criminalized stalking, um, we can actually help show the data, right. um, the number of men and women, um, and similarly for sexual harassment. And this allows for better sort of policy reform um, and, and legal reform. Um, but finally, and the most important thing is that there has to be political will um, to do the right thing to protect the people. And political will also extends to monitoring uh, the implementation of all of the reforms that are to take place, right? Or the statistics um, to actually identify where there is a problem um, and to continue, uh, you know, to, to put out, do the work, um, to monitor uh, the processes, to monitor what's happening on the ground, even after you have um, these reforms, because then you have imperative for more change. Um, yeah, so I think those are the the, the key sort of three things, uh, three obstacles to change and reform um, that still exist, you know. Right. Um, so let's talk about um, your wish list. What is, um, whether it's WAO or just JAG, as you know, if you want to look broader, what are what are the wish lists of women's rights groups? Um, when, what do you all want to see um, implemented by Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim's cabinet? This is quite a long wish list, but, um, you know, I think a lot of it uh, ties in with 
what may have already been covered in the manifesto. So we really right. do to see um, see some of these things implemented. But the first thing is we'd like to see the implementation of the Anti-Sexual Harassment Act. Um, it has already been gazetted, which is great. Um, and it, it must be implemented uh, with gender-sensitive training across frontliners um, and also to raise awareness. And we really hope to work closely with the Ministry of Women on this. Um, the second thing would be the Gender Equality Act um, which would harmonize really Malaysia's obligation to the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, or CEDAW. Um, and it would really work towards creating a country that is safe and fair um, towards people, regardless of gender. Um, and of course, you know, we really, really want to see amendments to the Articles 14 and 15 to ensure equal citizenship, as well as the passage of amendments to criminalize stalking so that survivors will be able to access protection and justice, survivors being both men and women. Um, it was passed in the second reading um, before parliament was dissolved, and we need to go back to that. Um, and I think a very important consideration is to end child marriage, um, Dashran. Mm -hmm. uh, the manifestos touch on studies um, for child marriage or having a roadmap, but I think we need a very clear stance um, on child marriage. Um, and of course, in, you know, I think in general, we need to look into better protections for women and girls, particularly in the, in the Persons with Disabilities Act, um, gender protection is lacking. Um, and we really hope to see through, um, see them address gender inequality as a whole, um, whether it's through gender responsive budgeting, whether it's through improved childcare policies, um, you know, and this could even mean improving policies so that it falls outside of tax incentive. Um, so those in the B40 communities, those who do not access LHDN will also stand to benefit. Right. Um, you know, the Anti-Sexual Harassment Act, um, it has been tabled and passed in Parliament already. But has it, you know, been enforced yet? Um, where are we right now when it comes to, you know, implementation of the Anti-Sexual Harassment Law? Um, so it has been gazetted. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we've learned from the Ministry of Women is that they're in the process of implementing it. Um, and this can take up to a year um, as they prepare uh, the various um, elements. You know, this could also include gender training. Um, it could include training uh, persons at the, from on the hotline, you know, how to respond to anti to survivors of sexual harassment. Um, so the, the process of implementation will take a year. Um, and as I said, the women's groups are, you know, very happy to support the ministry in, in this in this element. And we really look forward to seeing them um, show us research and data and stats for as soon as people start reporting um, cases of sexual harassment. What does it mean um, in terms of for, for the victims, for the survivors, right? Because um, you know, as you as you mentioned, implementation um, is may take up to a year uh, as they you know tighten the nuts and bolts and and get geared up for it, um, training and whatnot. So right now, if there is a survivor, can they go to the police station? Is it is it already a crime in that sense? Um, what what are the legal avenues available right now? Well, um. Essentially, there will be a tribunal, which right. is what they need some time to set up. Right. Um, and I, I think at the moment, um, you know, the, the hotline, the Talian Kasi, is available. Mm -hmm. uh, geo hotlines are available. 
Um, and, you know, it also comes in hand in hand with the Employment Act. Um, so employers um, will already, I think next year, will already uh, need to be prepared um, to have uh, set in place um, processes for sexual harassment. Um, we're also waiting for guidelines from the Ministry of Women on, on organizational duties. So what organizations need to do um, for survivors of sexual harassment when they do come forward. Um, but while while we await um, from, for the information on that, um, survivors can always, of course, um, you know, reach out to police, reach out to NGOs, reach out to Talian Kase, um, and they will be given uh, further assistance in preparation for taking the case forward for once the tribunal is ready. So um, the new ministry uh, minister for women, which is Nancy Shukri, she has said that she'll be focusing on the formulation of the Elderly Persons Act and the Social Work Profession Act. Is she on the right track here? Um, yes, I think, you know, I can definitely comment on the Social Work mm -hmm. Profession act um that is something we we really really need because the social workers are those who are doing the you know some of the key work on the ground um and they need better protection um but she's definitely on the right track so the the, the interesting thing about um you know the, the government that we have today the administration that we have today it is it is a sort of a coalition government. It's, you know, with Pakatan Harapan, Barisan National, GPS, other smaller parties. So it's a bit of a mixed government. It's not a one party that won big enough to, to form the majority on their own. Um, with a mixed government like this, with a, with a new coalition, um, you know, coming together to, to have enough numbers, um, do you see, an, an, do you foresee an appetite for reform? Or, or do you think it's just going to hinder the reform process? Well, we can hope that there will be an increased mm -hmm. appetite for reform. Um, you know, I believe there is an improved understanding on gender equality. Uh, and we, must, must, of course, must not forget that for decades um, before this, uh, with Barisan National in government, uh, we had made strides towards gender equality, including gender mainstreaming and gender responsive budgeting, and also acceding to CEDAW. Um, so it's, I suppose it's a matter of pace, um, you know, with the unity government. We hope that reforms um, can be taken on faster um, and there will not be delays. Um, but I do believe that that there definitely will be uh, an appetite for reform. But more than just reform, you know, I think there needs to be an appetite, like I have said before, to monitor um, and to understand that long-term reform cultural change requires a lot of evaluation monitoring of programs and policies. Um, and, I, you know, I hope that the, the new government will be able to ensure that this happens um, because without this, a lot of people, a lot of Malaysians, marginalized Malaysians um, are left out. Absolutely. And of course, you know, I have to add that um, while we rely on the on the government, the parliamentarians um, to to sort of push for reform, you know, the civil servants have been doing a great job of um, holding up the fort um, and they have done their part in in. Uh, actually pursuing the reforms that that um, 
have already been in place before, which is how we've got here, even though in the past four years, there have been many different governments. All right. Before we wrap this conversation up, Abhinaya, would you have a final message for us? Well, you know, we really hope that the government takes strides towards gender equality, um, primarily because we are 50% of the population. But of course, when we say gender equality, um, you know, it, it impacts both men and women. Um, and it's a matter of looking into uh, the various um, needs, uh, the various, and also acknowledging that, um, you know, a lot of the things that need to be looked into are rights of the people. Uh, you know, access to healthcare, access to education, access to um, hygiene, all of these are very key rights and it all fought, comes under gender equality. Um, and so we really hope that uh, there will be big strides um, with the new government and we really look forward to working with the new government um, and the Ministry of Women, including and also the Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health across the board um, to implement this. Fantastic. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dashran. That was Abhinaya Mohan. She's the Advocacy Director at the Women's Aid Organisation. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.